the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back as we head into Hour 2 of this daily three-hour tour this Monday, September 13th. It's a delight to welcome back Brandon Weikert, author of Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower, and, of course, the publisher of The Weikert Report, W-E-I-C-H-E-R-T, The Weikert Report, totally free and totally smart. Brandon, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. Although if I were really smart, I'm not sure if it would be totally free. Yeah, yeah, you. yeah. No, I, I I thought about that on another front recently, and it has to do with the whole culture. Remember back in the day when the culture of the Internet, so to speak, was supposed to be free? Yes. <laughs> the yes. culture of the Internet. People got resentments when they were charged for things. You're, you're just an originalist, Brandon. It's perfectly well, fine. I guess so. It's perfectly wanna, fine. I'll take the compliment. Thank yes. You. <laughs> Every listener to this show, aside from the sponsors, know that uh, no, uh, no one appreciate this ethic. <laughs> okay. okay, Brandon. Talk to me. Um, we didn't want to believe bin Laden in the 90s as a culture, as a society. He showed us, like Kaiser so say, what true will really was. Yep. And you create the subject headline of one of your most important pieces titled America Has Lost the Global War on Terrorism. Oh, Brandon, tell me it's not so. Well, unfortunately, it is. Um, you know, I didn't. There's a whole other part of the article I ended up cutting. It was, this was for the <laughs> Asia Times. This is for the Asia Times, and I, I republished it with permission on my website. Um, uh, this was written for the anniversary of 9-11, and I don't mean to be a Debbie Downer, but um, we lost. We lost the war. We didn't just lose the war in Afghanistan uh, we, or the war in Iraq. We've lost the war because if you look at the ideology, if you look at the strategic intentions, as I do, uh, of our enemies, in this case, Osama bin Laden and al-Qaeda, um, of Islamism in general. What you see is that um, the primary front of that war was Afghanistan. And remember, that was Obama in 08. It was the, the, the right war, the necessary war, um, not like the war of choice in Iraq. Well, and I think he was right about that to a degree. Um, and uh, the way that we pulled out, the way that we terminated hostilities there um, was a disaster. And, it, and how did it end? It ended with the Taliban uh, and, by extension, al-Qaeda uh, and, to some degree, ISK, uh, certainly the Haqqani Network. Three of those groups we've been at war with since 2001, and ISK we've been at war with you know, since they were created five years ago, um, we've, we've lost because the Taliban are now in control. And for all of the talk about how ISIS-K uh, and the Taliban are at war with each other, that's true to some point, but let us not forget that in the last 
four or five months as the Taliban were reclaiming most of the country and our drawdown, uh, they were going around to prisons and releasing known ISK fighters, knowing full well that those fighters would turn their ire against the retreating Americans and their allies. Um, knowing full well, I think, that uh, this was part of a ploy by the Taliban, I think, to get the American government under Biden to turn around after pulling out and to give support to the Taliban in order to fight and contain the greater ISK threat. Um, I actually think we're being played. I think not only have we lost, but now we are effectively, as we did in Syria and Libya, I think we are effectively becoming the uh, shield or the Air Force for the Islamists, in this case, the Taliban. Um, and so not only have we lost, uh, Seth, but we are now also serving the very group that attacked us on 9-11. And obviously the Taliban did not directly attack us, but they did in 2001 allow for their country, Afghanistan, to be used as a base of operation for al-Qaeda. And we know that al-Qaeda was serving Taliban interests. Remember Osama bin Laden married off one of his sons to Mullah Omar's daughter. Mullah Omar was the original leader. Uh, he's the one-eyed bandit, the original leader of the Taliban. Um, and that was a matrimony made in politics. And uh, two days before the 9-11 attacks, uh, al-Qaeda operatives, not Taliban, al-Qaeda operatives found uh, Masood, uh, the leader of the Norman Alliance, the group we ended up supporting in the war, uh, the Great Lion of Panjir, as he was known, and the al-Qaeda operatives two days before 9-11 assassinated. Ahmed Shah Massoud made, it, made yes. the 15th page of the New York Times when he got, was yes. killed. Right. And so, unfortunately, on 9-11's 20th anniversary, not only did we abandon the war, but we lost the war because our enemies are back to where they were the day before we invaded Iraq, maybe I mean, stronger, maybe stronger, maybe stronger. They have more, more military. Well, more, well there's no. certainly we've left tens of billions. Now, the State Department and the DOD quibble. It wasn't 83 billion, but they don't deny that it was tens of billions of dollars. of military <laughs> um, Finally, the I Pentagon mean, is lowering the cost right, of. Finally, right, the Pentagon right, is right, reducing right. the cost of material. All right, see, it took I, it took a war scandal to do that, but okay, no more forty dollar toilet seats. Got it. Right, right. So you see, it's twenty dollars. So, yeah. Right. You know, so yeah. it's, it's forty dollar um, hammers. Right. Sorry. Yeah. You knew right, what I meant. No, no, you're right. right. You're yeah. right. But but now it's like it's, it's not forty dollars. No, it's it's twenty five dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Fine. Finally, so they've learned to round yeah. down. Okay. Right. Right. Okay. So so it's still bad, and um, we now know the Taliban basically have American military equipment. And, oh, by the way, a lot of those Afghan National Army people that we trained up, uh, a lot of them, the pilots and whatnot, are apparently now going to work for the Taliban's new Air Force. And why wouldn't they? They don't want to get killed and they want to get paid. Well, Bin Laden um, explained it. You follow a strong horse or you follow a right. weak horse. You're going to go with the strong mentality. horse. Yeah. That's right. And our friend Lee Smith, wrote about this in my favorite work of his from 2011, which I believe was called, uh, I think it was called A Stronger Horse. Mm -hmm. I think it was, yep. Yeah, and so that was in relation to the Arabs, but ultimately it's the same kind of tribal Islamist mindset. And so we've lost the global war on terror. I don't really know what we're doing anymore. You know, Joe Biden, I wrote another article two weeks ago in the Asia Times about this. You know, Joe Biden has 
try to redirect people. It's not Afghanistan that's the primary front. It's not even the Middle East. It's Africa. God help us if we go into Africa. And I have a feeling, I have a feeling that we are going to repeat another Afghanistan, maybe in Mali, maybe in somewhere in the wet, in the Sahel. But I have this great fear that Biden is ramping us up to basically replicate an Afghanistan in Africa. And God help us, because Africa is not the new front in the war on terror. Uh, it, we've lost the war on terror. Whatever happens now is an entirely different thing, because now we're serving the interest of whether it's uh, al-Qaeda or, excuse me, ISIS, uh, the so-called moderate Syrian rebels, as we've been protecting them and arming them since 2013 in Syria, whether it's the Taliban whether who are then sheltering al-Qaeda. We're helping all of these Islamist groups. And it's a disaster. And I don't even, it doesn't make sense. I can't figure out what is going on. All I know, and, and remember in 2013, we were supporting the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt, mm-hmm. Mohammed Morsi. Not they, we, the Obama know, administration, let's be well, clear. The, well, the U.S. government. <laughs> yes, yes. The U.S. government yes, yes. was doing that. And they still are. Mm-hmm. I mean, they still are. We are still in bed with people affiliated with the Muslim Brotherhood, you know, David Reboy can talk about this with much, much greater authority than I can. But basically, we are still in bed with those groups. Now, they're not called necessarily the Muslim Brotherhood. No. They normally in America have some PC name. Yeah. But it's the same. It's the same mentality. It's a front group. Remember the IRA, the Irish Republican Army, a terrorist group had friendly front groups in America. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You couldn't go to an Irish bar without knowing what charity to donate to to make sure the money went to the right cause. Brandon, let me do this. Let me let me take a speaking speaking of uh, not being a nonprofit. Let me let me take a quick commercial (laughs) break and come back to you. You've written a lot in the last two weeks and a lot to go over. And there's a lot to talk about. I'm Seth Liebson. He's Brandon Weikert. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine. We will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Brandon Weikert is our guest. TheWeikertReport.com is his website. His book is Winning Space, How America Becomes a Superpower. Brandon, do I understand this is coming out in paperback soon? Yeah, we're doing the paperback. I just finished the updated foreword, and I am rewriting parts of Chapter 1. The manuscript was finished in uh, December of 2019, so we're updating it to include some of what the Biden administration has done since taking office uh, with regards to space policy. Fantastic. Let me swing us back to Afghanistan for a few moments. You've written a lot, and um, it's a, it's it's a lot to um, learn, and we'll be better off for doing so. But I love walking you through it. Uh, it's another column of yours: unpacking Biden's staggering lies. That's not the the political point, uh, which we can make fine happily. We're happy to make the political point, but there is a policy point that's kind of what shall I? say, propagandizing the American people, which is this. And I heard Joe Biden say it again within the last 72 hours, that his hands were tied. He had no choice to do what he did because he was left this deal by the Trump administration. Now, 
I, I know a little bit about this. Um, I want to make a larger point, and I'll let you make the specific ones. But my larger point is how wonderful it is the Biden administration found the one very thing, the one very thing of Trump's they wanted to keep. You know, they change every other right. policy from taxing and spending and energy independence in the Middle border. East and China and the border. But this, this they are going to have a Martinet-like adherence to. That right. aside, Brandon. Tell me about why this wasn't Trump's plan. Well, and something that I didn't include uh, in that article, but I talked to a dear friend of mine at State Department a couple of days ago, and he brought up, you know, he was defending the Biden team, and, and, and he's right to do so because that's his, where he works, and I understand. Um, but, but he did keep saying, you know, well, I, I will tell you we were hamstrung you know, because of the Trump administration, the hard deadline of May 1. But as I pointed out to him, and I'll, I, I'll say this to you, um, the Biden administration correctly went to the Taliban coming into May 1st of this year and said, we're not going to be able to be out of the country by then. And the Taliban, they didn't like it, but they also didn't really do anything, right? Mm-hmm. So explain to me, uh, somebody in the Biden team, why uh, you could go to the Taliban and break, quote unquote, or change that very hard Trump, you know, agreement for that instance to move it from May 1 to the end of August. But but you you can't actually look at the whole picture and say, you know what, we want to get out, but we cannot do it in a way that's going to make us look dishonorable. And we're going to preserve our dignity and we're going to do what we can, because for the last 20 years, we've spent all this time and money and blood uh, in investing in Afghanistan in a quote unquote democratic Afghanistan. Uh, We're going to at least try to ensure that the government we've been propping up with its military, they have a chance at surviving. They have a chance at holding the line. The reason, one of the reasons the Afghan National Army collapsed, and I have an article at this as well, at my website about this as well, one of the reasons the ANA collapsed the way it did was it was our fault that it collapsed, because that, that organization was designed to basically be an appendage of the U.S. military. And when you remove completely, which is what the Biden team did, remember, Biden, as far back as 09, this is in Bob Woodward's book, Obama's Wars, uh, Biden is talking about, yes, we need to get out, but I, I want to keep a small footprint there for counterterrorism. Well, what Biden ended up doing is literally pulling out everyone, uh, including any small footprint. So the ANA, we get mad that they folded in 11 days, and that was pretty pathetic. But the bottom line is that's because the basis of the ANA was being able to exist and function with the, with the backup and the support of the U.S. military and NATO coalition forces, whether it was air power, intelligence support, special forces, augmentation, it didn't matter. But what happened was we pull out after, you know, in August or beginning in May, but going all the way through to August, the ANA cannot survive. The ANA goes, so then the the government that we were supporting, Ghani's government in Kabul, they need to rely on then the local warlords to basically hold the line against the advancing Taliban. And as we know, in Afghanistan, you can't buy an Afghan warlord's loyalty, but you can rent one. Mm. And unfortunately for Ghani, the, the reason he fled 
the moment he decided to flee, it was not something he was planning. He fled the moment that critical warlords who had sworn allegiance to him at the last minute going into that last weekend uh, of the chaotic pullout, they switched sides and said they had a better deal from the Taliban. By the and way, the May, the May deadline, right. aside from the fact that we didn't comply with it because we left in August, uh, right. a small point that I think gets ignored here. Maybe it's a big one. I think it's important. Yeah. It shows flexibility yeah. where the now by exactly. saying there is none. Exactly. But the deal was not predicated, as I remember it, on the Taliban being the government. No, it was predicated. Now, they did want that both the Taliban and... There was a power-sharing agreement, but it wasn't... Power-sharing Yes, agreement. of course, right. but it wasn't... Right. I mean, it wasn't that the Taliban was going to take control exactly right. of the lock, stock, That's and barrel exactly that right. was Afghanistan. Right, or that we were going to leave billions of dollars of equipment and money for the Taliban to basically support themselves. Or Americans. I, I, Right, exactly. War booty. Right, exactly. Hostages. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I mean, I, I think, I think all of this is just it's it's very hard to swallow, and I wonder. It may be the biggest scandal of this administration that we will see, quite frankly, because of what comes next. I, I know Joe Biden is on a campaign right now to say that no one could have done it any differently. It's just not true. It's It's just not true. And everyone knows off the top of their head to rattle off about five things that could have been done differently. And if they're experts, they'll have a hundred things. Right. And I think it's important to say that there was actual agreement between the Republicans and Democrats, Mm -hmm. at least between the Trump team and Mm -hmm. Biden team, that we need to get out. But where they disagreed was the way. And I know some people even on our side who are quietly cheering the, the withdrawal, uh, they they kind of roll their eyes when I say it's not really the bottom line that we're quibbling with, it's the how. But that's very important here. How we got out was very important. And we got out as badly as we, as we could have. As everything that could have been done wrong, we did wrong. And that's any expert from both State Department or the Defense Department or the intelligence community will tell you that. What are we to expect going forward, Brandon, if I'm right, sure. that this will not be the end of it? Let's think about Afghanistan. Let's think about its neighbors. Let's think about the desires of al-Qaeda and ISIS-K. Let's think about the whole kit and caboodle when we come back. Can we do that? Yeah. I'm Seth Liebson. What shall we now expect or be prepared to expect in a way that we wanted to turn a blind eye and a deaf year two in the 1990s. We've repeated 1975. Do we want to repeat 1996, 97, and 98 while we're at it? We'll ask Brandon about that when we come back. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Delighted to have Brandon Weikert with us. He's the publisher of The Weikert Report, The Weikert Report. Dot com and the author of Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower. Brandon, let's talk about that superpower. We're always going to be attacked and the target of a terrorist organization, um, and we're not going to rid the world of terrorists any more than we can rid the world of grievance. But we can certainly minimize it and do things to discourage rather than encourage it. I mentioned the 90s as I was leaving uh, leaving the last segment, 96, 97, 98. That's when bin Laden was telling us what his plans were, and we uh, turned a blind eye and a deaf ear. 
Uh, that should include the embassy bombings in 1998, and it should include the USS Cole, about which yes. not a single question was asked. Not a single question was asked during the presidential debate between Bush and Gore, which took place after the USS Cole. It was an audience right. town hall debate. No one asked a question about it. Thus, it didn't get talked about. Right. What do we have? Right. What should we be listening to, worrying about, and thinking about now? Because I just don't think al-Qaeda and Hezbollah and ISIS and the Taliban have decided to take a nap? No, if anything, what you're going to witness is really the resurgence of uh, Islamism as an ideology across the wider Middle East. It's not just now an Iranian phenomenon. It's not, no longer just the purview of non-state actors like ISIS-K or or ISIS Prime, or Al-Qaeda, or Boko Haram. It's now, um, it's now, I think, becoming the law of the land. And I think this was my point uh, with the book, with the article we opened talking about, the one that I wrote for the Age of Times about how we lost the global war on terror. I quoted extensively Bin Laden's fatwa. I quoted his declaration of war against the West and what his objectives were uh, by by doing by doing 9/11, which was basically to show the, the the Muslim world that the United States could bleed, that it was a paper tiger, a weak horse, that it could be pushed around, pushed away long enough for the people, the believers of the region, to rise up and overthrow the apostate, non-believing, authoritarian American-backed governments of the Muslim countries like Saudi Arabia. Uh, and then also that they could push democratic Israel into the sea. Um, and, and bin Laden's vision was, uh, in his mind, a restoration and an expansion of the caliphate that used to exist until the collapse of the Ottoman Empire in 1923. Um, ultimately, we thought we prevented this by attacking us after 9-11 the way we did. Um, I think that he might be getting the last laugh to some degree. And there's also another thing. Um, Afghanistan, yes, could very well become the base for a new round of even more sophisticated, possibly deadlier uh, terrorist attacks directed against the United States and Europe. Um, furthermore, the Taliban have become puppets of, in many respects, of China and Russia. I wrote a very well-circulated article at Real Clear World last week about how Afghanistan was the linchpin uh, for Chinese and Russian uh, strategic aims in Eurasia, and that it was sort of like the, the jaws of autocracy were closing, and it was closing around Afghanistan. And what I meant by that was that China and Russia were going to use Afghanistan as a, as a conduit or a freeway to link their growing power uh, and, and push beyond Eurasia, or push beyond Asia, and into the Middle East, into Africa, into Europe, uh, and to deny Eurasia uh, from the Americans who were pushed just beyond the horizon. So the question now, given that the Taliban are so closely partnered with specifically China, but also Russia as well as Pakistan, uh, the question is now: What will the Taliban? and allow al-Qaeda to do because they're taking their cues from Beijing. And so a terrorist attack might be primed against us when it's most opportunistic for Beijing. Does that make sense? Yeah, no. That they, so so 
um, you know, my concern fundamentally uh, with what's going on in Afghanistan is that we now have the solidification and possibly the, the union of Chinese and Russian power for that whole part of the world through Afghanistan. And as well, we now have to worry about Pakistan because the Taliban are also clients and have been for 40, 30 years of, of the intelligence uh, apparatus in Pakistan. And now we have to worry about what India is going to do. Um, my friend Gregory Copley argued last year, his opinion was that India started the fight with China because they were trying to move their power base. Oh, let me hold you there. Let me hold you there because i got to take the break. And it's been quiet about India. I've always had a – not always, not always. (laughs) Since the end of the Cold War, I have had a soft spot in my heart for India. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back with more from Brandon Weikert. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Brandon Weikert is our guest. He's the publisher of the Weikert Report, theweikertreport.com. Brandon, uh, we were just mentioning India, and I wanted to put this in context. Really, it's a two-part question. One is, Lindsey Graham, others have said we're, we're going to have to go back into Afghanistan. A, are we? B, no. Okay, good. B, does another country perhaps who's we used to say region it is it's their region it's their yard will they step up can we help them step up india what is india's role here what could it be what should it be well so as i was saying you know we were we're keeping an eye rightly so a lot on what uh china's doing with the taliban what the russians are doing what the pakistanis are doing and even what the iranians are doing and even what the turks are trying to do uh, we're not really talking a lot about India, which is kind of surprising, because basically my colleague Gregory Copley, who's an Aussie, um, he his theory last year, uh, and I do the lecture circuit with him quite a bit, so this was his real big theory, was that he thought India, the reason that fight with China started last summer, was because India was trying desperately, knowing that we were going to be pulling out of Afghanistan, India was basically trying to move in force through Kashmir to get physical connectivity with Afghanistan, to influence the post-American environment of Afghanistan, to basically help buttress those anti-Taliban elements uh, to prevent the Taliban from taking over the country because the Taliban have for decades been a client of the Pakistani intelligence services. And as you may or may not know, your audience, um, uh, Pakistan and India have been in a quasi-war with each other since the 1950s. And, uh, you know, the brink of nuclear war type stuff. So um, the Indians are very keenly aware that Pakistan is using Afghanistan as sort of a strategic lever against India. And the Indians don't like it. And they're worried that the Taliban government in Afghanistan now armed with all of the, the, the technology that the Americans left, military tech, as well as with the backing of China, uh, that they are basically going to be a client for Pakistan in, in launching terror attacks or allowing terrorist groups to launch attacks into India-controlled Kashmir. Um, and so now you have India scrambling. And, of course, China and India are in a quasi-war with each other. 
And so now you have China and Pakistan probably using Afghanistan together as a strategic lever to put pressure both on the Americans who are vacating, but also to put pressure on India. And so now India is in a, in, a, in a pickle because they cannot do this alone. And they do have some connectivity with Russia. And my concern, or maybe this is something that works out for in our favor if we play the cards right, but it looks like possibly India might start relying or turning more toward Russia to help them mitigate any threat from Afghanistan because, of course, Russia is also you know, playing nice with the Taliban. And India has a long, decades-long relationship with Russia. And that could complicate the American grand strategy for using India as part of this quad alliance of India, the U.S., Japan, and Australia to contain China's rise in the Indo-Pacific. So there's a lot of moving parts. People don't think Afghanistan landlocked has anything to do with that, but it actually it is a major player because... What Pakistan is doing in Afghanistan affects Indian national security, and anything that goes on there is going to distract them from doing what they need to do to help us in the Indo-Pacific contain China. So in Afghanistan, our, the way we left basically opened up this vacuum that now all of these anti-American forces are moving to fill, and the few American allies like India in the region are basically being left holding the bag, not knowing what to do. It's, this is a terrible thing we did, the way we did it. The way we did it. That's an interesting thing, because Joe Biden says we couldn't have done it any other way. The New York Times... Right. The New York Times has a sobering fact. The final act of the U.S. war in Afghanistan was a drone strike in Kabul that killed sure. 10 people. Our latest investigation shows how the man the military saw as an imminent threat, an ISIS facilitator, was actually an aid worker returning yeah. to his family. They knew it wasn't him. They knew who it, they knew who it wasn't. It was not ISIS-K. They needed a they victory after after Americans victory. were killed. Yeah. Yes. It's disgusting. It, it, I mean, look, it could be a war crime. I mean, if you really want to, I mean, honestly, um, you know, I don't want to sound like Glenn Greenwald, but I, I mean... Really no, I, I take the point. Yeah. I, I, I do. And it's it, you it's and I are loath ever to go down. The, at least I am. And I sense right. the, the, oh, the, I, the hesitancy well. in your in your words, because I know, as you know, how that can be used and misused, yeah. mostly misused. Um, and, well, yeah. basically how it works for those that are uninitiated in international law is that if war crimes become de rigueur, the two biggest defendants in the world before the world court will be the United States of America and Israel, Saudi Arabia, right. Iran, and China will never be dragged or right. subpoenaed. That's how these things right. – that's why Brandon right. and I are loath, right? Did I do a fair but, fair assessment yeah, on Yeah, yes. okay. But, but I, I do think, though, we need to – because the Democrats for the entirety of the you know their new golden board, George W. Bush, you know, for the entirety of his administration, though, they were bad, you know, bludgeoning him and the Republicans over the head with war crimes. They didn't say word one about Obama and the drone war, which was far greater than anything Bush did. But we now need to start raising the question, now that we lost the war on terror, part of that post-mortem, if it's ever done, needs to be looking at John Brennan's threat matrix from the Obama years and the, the Obama drone war, but specifically the incident in Afghanistan 
Biden said he killed ISK leadership responsible for that horrible attack on the Kabul airport. And now we have open source evidence, proof that he actually killed a bunch of civilians and nobody's being taken to task. Um, you know, if it were Republican, if it were Donald Trump, this would be the greatest scandal of the last five years. But nobody's saying anything, and I think that's really disgusting. Well, I think I have a thought on this, Brandon, and it might be embarrassing to you, and I don't mean it to be. But you're interviewed a lot. You're sought for your thoughts a lot. And I'm just <laughs> wondering over the last, oh, seven to ten days if those requests slowed down. I'm guessing they have. And the Absolutely. reason I – did they? Yeah. Okay. That, there you go. There yeah. you go. There's my point. Yeah. The reason yeah. they've slowed down, Brandon, is that this should no longer be the focus of the American people, yeah. don't you know? We have other right. things to deal with. Right. The administ- well, and that's why yeah, and that's why when you said before the last break about, you know, this could be this great scandal of Biden. Yeah. I actually don't think I don't think this is gonna hurt him one bit. Because because the people on. have just picked up and moved on. Yeah. Can you address what we should do with Pakistan in the three minutes on yeah. the other side of this break? Absolutely. All right. Brandon Weicker, we got a bunch of calls saying talk to us about Pakistan. We are nothing if not responsive. We will be right back. Close out the hour with a little Jimmy Buffett there because oh, of Brandon. There you great. go. Yeah, <laughs> you betcha. Brandon, uh, we've got just a couple of minutes. It's our short segment. But Pakistan, kind of the gorilla in the room, if you will. Yeah. What do we do with Pakistan? Well, we've got quite a pickle there because, you know, the, the first instinct is to just basically say, F you, you're someone else's problem now. Um, the problem is they've got a massive nuclear weapons arsenal that isn't very well maintained, has a terribly antiquated command and control capability. Um, this is with us completely cutting off Pakistan financially and otherwise would be that, uh, you know, there could be a, a, even an accidental nuclear war between India and Pakistan um, with us kind of having some influence over Pakistan through money, at the very least we can, you know, stave off some real doomsday scenarios. At the same time, we have to remember that Pakistan since 2010-2011 has become an integral partner with China. And so I actually think, you know, at this rate, what we're doing, and this was brought up in the the uh, Today with Blinken on the Hill, one of the Republican congressmen asking him basically laid out very well how all this money we're sending in foreign aid to go to these NGOs in Afghanistan, actually the, it's not getting to where it needs to go. It's getting going into the coffers of Pakistan, who's then using that money to give to the Taliban and all these Islamist groups, and they're, it, it's, we're basically funding our enemies through the Pakistanis. So maybe, at the very least, we should threaten Pakistan, hey, you're no longer on our dole. We no longer need you the way we used to. We don't have forces operating in Afghanistan anymore. You're closer to China anyway. Let China deal with you. And we'll focus on India. And we'll see how that goes. Maybe that'll get them to slow down some of their really bad behavior. But then again, maybe it won't. I mean, Pakistan is such a problem. It's the problem from hell. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe we should, though, start to definitely dial back some of that funding uh, and some of the arms sales and start telling them, you know what, go to your new benefactors in China. We're going to stick with India. 
maybe that'll maybe that'll get them to start you know checking some of their bad behavior. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Brandon Weikert. Check him out daily at theweikertreport.com. Always worth reading. Ignoring him at your peril. We'll talk to you next week, Brandon. Thank you. Stay well. Bye-bye. You too. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.